Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for both of New York, where today is Sunday, January 1st, 2023. Got the year right. Um, and I'm joined today by uh, by Jesse Collings and maybe by Chris Gull, who has just been sent away to reboot his computer. We'll see what happens. Um, but hello, Jesse Collings. How are you? How's your new year? Um, New Year was pretty good. I hope all of our listeners had a good and safe New Year's Eve. Um, and it starts, uh, you know, wrestling. There's already been one major show in Japan already by the time, probably more than one. I know the big Noah show with the Muto Shinsuke Nakamura match, which I believe has drawn the biggest. I haven't seen a attendance figure yet, but it was trending towards being the biggest non New Japan show uh, was in Japan. Hall? Uh, I think it was Budokan. Budokan. Um, I haven't seen an attendance figure yet for it, but I think it, it's basically they came. They were talking. I heard talk about a possible sellout for that show. Um, I haven't heard any seen any confirmation. I haven't seen the show yet, but uh, we've already got one major show down, and we've got a bunch of major shows uh, both in the U.S. and in Japan. I feel like coming up in the next week or two. Uh, got AEW's debut in Seattle, which is probably going to be one of their biggest dynamite tapings of the year from an attendance perspective. It, it might be the biggest dynamite from an attendance perspective. I think they have over 8,000 tickets out. Um, which would be more than Revolution. I believe there's, they're under 6,000, I think, yeah. for Re- Revolution. Yeah. And of course, Revolution is th- almost three, you know, Revolution is the first week in March. So there's still two, mo- two months to go for Revolution. But yeah, um, I'm sure like uh, maybe like Grand Slam will will do better than whatever they end up doing with the Seattle show. But that's a big show. Obviously, Wrestle Kingdom is this week. A um, bunch of other big shows in Japan. WWE uh, has the Royal Rumble, obviously, uh, coming up at the end yes. of the month. Yes, in San Antonio with over 30,000 out. Um, but yeah, we'll get into many, many different numbers today. Um, last week we had uh, – it was Christmas – Last week's Sunday. Today is New Year's Day, but last week's Sunday was Christmas, and we didn't do a regular show, but I put out the, the Fall of Vince McMahon, so that is out there on YouTube and in the podcast archives if you missed that. Um, we uh, During Christmas, this this was my Christmas. This is the view, if people are watching in video on YouTube, this is the view from my front porch on Christmas morning. Uh, that is a car in front of my house that is buried in snow. That is actually my car. It was very, very inconsistent. So we, Buffalo, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the news, had a huge blizzard. Um, about 30 people have died in Buffalo from this blizzard. And this, this, I live in the city, and the city was especially bad, and the cleanup was especially bad. Um, but yeah, it was very inconsistent. Like we're, getting, see, we're getting some insight into your neighborhood, though, here. True. Um, you can't see any addresses. You can't see um, any uh, license plates. I did... I did Think about that. Here's oh, here's here's Chris Gullo, uh, who who resides in in the southern portion of Buffalo. I reside more so in the northern portion of Buffalo, but that's my car across the street, not that covered. Um, the car near 
near uh, our house is like buried past the hood. Um, but South Buffalo may have been hit even worse. Chris Gullo can update us on that situation now. Maybe. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> um, I had uh, snow drifts as tall as my garage, which is about like eight feet, seven, eight feet up the ground. Uh, wow. Snow removal was absolutely terrible. I didn't see a plow until Wednesday. <laughs> and the uh, storm ended pretty much on Monday morning. Um, so shots fired between mayor, not, not literal, but, 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 uh, you know, barbs were exchanged between mayor Byron Brown and Erie County executive Mark Pollen cars as, uh, yeah. blame, blame was shifted around sort of about the, the cleanup. Um, just despite all those votes that mayor Brown, mayor Brown got for, from, from mayor from the South Buffalo. Nah, he ain't, he's not cleaning you up. Forget it. As a neutral observer, <laughs> it would seem like Buffalo in, from an infrastructure standpoint, should be very well equipped to handle large snowstorms. It seems like a, They're not, a <laughs> somewhat regular basis. Yes. Yes. Well, we, we, we won't alienate any of our, our Buffalo politicos by going any further into this discussion. But, um, but anyway, if you want to participate with Super Chat, with a question or comment, if you're watching live on YouTube, you can do that. Feel free. Um, first news. Big news, I guess, in the world of, of TV ratings. John Cena, big match John, big draw John, was back on Friday SmackDown in a tag match where he teamed with Kevin Owens against Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns. We don't have final numbers yet. Those will be on a one-day delay because of the New Year holiday. So it was, usually they would come out uh, m tomorrow, Monday afternoon. But instead, because of the New Year, they will come out Tuesday afternoon. The prelim rating is out. The prelim rating is... Uh, I don't have it right in front of me. Let me see if I can find it real quick. 2.441 million. Two, about 2.4 million is the prelim. Now, the prelim is usually somewhere between 5 and 10% lower than the final. Um, so that would indicate that this show is going to measure somewhere around, somewhere around 2.6 million viewers. If that's the case, this is going to be the highest rated SmackDown since the, the, the infamous exception of the 3.3 million viewers that SmackDown did on Christmas 2020 when it had an NFL game as its lead-in. Very unusual situation. If you exclude that exceptional circumstance, you have to go all the way back to February 2020 to find a rating that might be as high as this one, but we'll see for sure on Tuesday afternoon when the final rating comes out. Um, yes, I know that sometimes these, these prelim ratings, these fast affiliate ratings are misleadingly high, especially in NFL preseason time in August. People lose their minds because they think SmackDown has done this enormous number when really you're, you're looking at the viewership mixed in with a lot of people watching NFL preseason games in various markets. That's not what happened here. No, pre, no preemptions, no weather events. People were watching SmackDown, I believe, in 100% of the Fox affiliates. So nothing unusual that I know of here. No reason to think that this didn't do what it seems to have done. So uh, big match, John strikes again. Did you guys watch the match? I haven't. No, 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 no. We, no, we don't watch wrestling on the show. We just talk about the numbers. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious to know what people thought of the match. I haven't seen it. I've seen kind of um, mixed feedback on, on if people were excited, how excited people were for it or not. Um, I mean, the, the amount of tickets that John Cena's presence sold yes. is almost more impressive than the match, than the television rating. He, 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 
thousands of tickets were were sold after he was um, an, announced for this event in Tampa. So, uh, and they were also running on the same night in Toronto, which did a, a good house show number mm-hmm. as well in the old Rico Coliseum, which I'll continue to call it. The um, what do you think about like? We, and I guess we've seen this before. Like, what do you think about? How much of this do you think is Cena making a like a one-time appearance, a rare appearance, and popping a big number and, and dry, drawing a lot of fans? Versus, if he were to be around more consistently, do you think he would? They would sell this many tickets at other SmackDown tapings if he were to be announced? Do you think SmackDown would be close to this television rating? I guess like John Cena and Kevin Owens teaming and Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns, which most people would consider like kind of like the biggest star versus the hottest act in the company is like a legit uh, big match for WWE to advertise. But do you think like, like how much do you think of this is just Cena one time thing kind of popping a big number and how much, or how much do you think would be sustainable if Cena were to be around on a more consistent basis? I I think I think there's always this, this novelty factor whenever somebody who's almost anybody at any level of a star comes in, you'll mm-hmm. see an, an initial pop uh, or, or, or a return in this case. But I think John Cena um, is, is, is a particular significant attraction. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've, well, one, of, one of my narratives over the last you know, couple of years has been, you know, if you look back at the trends that I always point out and say, hey, look, between 2016 and 2019, we saw annual dis- declines in various business areas, consumer related, of course, business areas for WWE. And why is that? Why, why was it, was it, uh, did the, is it, is it the fans? Is it the social media, uh, reaction? Is it, is it Roman Reigns? It's, it's the lack of John Cena during that time who stopped being a full-time performer for WWE in, at the end of 2015. And after that, I think there's other reasons that play as well, including, uh, the, the wearing off of the novelty of the WWE network, and the quality of the content. Thank you, Vince McMahon. But I think it's the lack of John Cena as well from 2016 to 2019, where he was no longer a regular performer, whereas in previous years he was. And a lot of metrics, including ticket sales, including merchandise sales, uh, including the cooling off of the W network, the, all those things saw annual consecutive year declines. So if John Cena was around if John Cena decided to quit doing voiceovers for car commercials and quit doing movies uh, tomorrow and decided to go back to WWE, uh, WWE would be better off as a business, not just for the first couple months, but I think for the long term. Yeah, I was. I just looked up on like so when John Cena before he was announced for this SmackDown show for rest to be wrestling on the SmackDown show, they had about seventy five hundred tickets out, which is pretty good. Uh, Anyway, and they they're gonna they're gonna end up with over thirteen thousand. Uh, so that kind of shows the effect of how many tickets he can move as a drawing act. And I do wonder. Um, I I have kind of another question. I don't want to go off too big of a tangent because I know you guys got stuff ready, well, but that's fine. I'd be interested in seeing like. <clears throat> so, at the end of the year. A lot of people were talking about like what were the biggest moments in wrestling in 2022 where like some major takeaways you reflect on. And a take I saw was some people being kind of um, not upset, but kind of uh, surprised that Stone Cold Steve Austin coming back in wrestling a match at WrestleMania for the first time in almost 20 years uh, was like kind of forgotten about by the end of the year. And 
the reason I feel like it has been forgotten is is because he didn't really have like a hot storyline going into the match. We didn't really know he was going to have a match. It wasn't like a real typical big WrestleMania build for something. It was kind of like a surprise that he wrestled. Um, and so it doesn't come across as like that memorable because all you really remember is him like walking around and, and doing a walking ball with Kevin Owens. And I find it kind of interesting that like with, with Austin and even how they use Cena here, they didn't really have like a big storyline for these guys. Like Cena came back. He's Kevin Owens tag team partner. He, his motivation was to, because he wanted to wrestle a match in every year. And this, so he just picked this match. Like you have the big star presence coming back, but they don't, they haven't seemed to be kind of like using the star and putting him in like what I would consider like a hot storyline or a big angle. Um, and I'd be curious to know like why that is, like why they couldn't at least do – they could have done something with Cena. Obviously, it was a huge business success as we just mentioned. But it doesn't seem like they could have done like a bigger angle to get people even more excited for the Cena match as opposed to just John Cena is going to wrestle Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn because he wants to have a match in 2022 to keep up some streak that nobody even knew he had. Um And it's – I'm just kind of – I find the utilization of those guys who are huge drawing cards – um kind of like um they could have they could be doing more with them but i don't know if that's a scheduling thing if that is a they don't want to put too much of a focus on the big star but it seems weird to me that they don't kind of max what i feel like maximize the potential of those guys to really create something memorable as opposed to just doing a one-time you know pop rating yeah we should mention too that this was the smackdown was heavily promoted during nfl games on fox too um I had MJ from MJ constantly reminding me that that this was, and I did see it myself. I did see the promos during during the NFL games on Fox, uh, hyping as they usually do, even when it's not John Cena, but but this this week particularly, um, SmackDown commercials during those NFL games. Um, um, just back to Jesse's original question on John Cena, uh, is it because the summer of Cena happened uh, to coincide with live touring returning? It's kind of hard to look at that data to see how much of an impact he had. In that in that period, on like uh, I think that there's definitely some noise there. You're right about like the return and kind of the enthusiasm for the return. But I mean, even when it, the summer of Cena, like Cena was announced for shows that were already had tickets on sale, and he was like, you know, they would be doing four thousand fans. They might have four thousand tickets out, and then two two weeks before the show, then Cena gets announced, and they end up with eight thousand fans. So Cena obviously was a big draw, but I'm also curious to know how much. Uh, like Cena's drawing power, does it wane over time as we get further and further away from his peak as a star? Particularly because Cena was always so popular with children. Children's interest in wrestling can be perhaps more fleeting than adults in the sense that they watched it when they were – if you were a kid and you watched John Cena when you were 10 – and now you're 16 or 17 years old, you might not have still be watching wrestling because a lot of kids grow out of it. Um, and Cena having not been around for the last few years to really become like the children's champion and become create new fans. Does that, does that cause his drawing power to wane? Does he have the same kind of special presence in the hearts and minds of fans now that he hasn't been a consistent member of the roster for a number of years? It seems to suggest that's not an I, issue. I think in, in, in this time, we see, if anything, the opposite in terms of when and, – and some of this is muddied by the fact that people are – by by these kinds of people are always irregular. But 
think about like, like the undertaker and and other examples of people who once they the longer you're around it i feel like the 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 greater your star power, your drawing ability becomes um, because you become consumed in retrospect more so over time, which is like, it's, it's, it's the opposite effect of look at the quarter hours for any show. And you'll notice that the newer stars who haven't been on television as long, uh, I don't don't know if if I want to say quarter hours, but look at various other trends and and you'll see that people who are fresher, newer stars don't, don't always tend to do as well as people who are more established stars. And I think that's a particular phenomenon of like the last 20 years or 30 years where this entertainment is consumed more so through media than through live events. And there's a lot of, especially now, of rewatching old library content and, and as, you know, creating these nostalgic connections with people who are over the age of 40, for example. Well, you're, ta- you're, tap- you're tapping into a larger fan base as opposed to a new young a, – a current star – is only really appealing to the current fan base. A uh, star from the past is appealing perhaps to the current fan base, but also to a larger group of people who have stopped watching. Um, the Undertaker, to me, is kind of a unique example, I think, because he was around for so long, and everyone that got into wrestling at some point in time that watched WWE since 1990 until today probably has a fondness memory of the undertaker being their favorite wrestler when they were a kid. I think with people like edge who came back and have not proven to be really noticeable, um, difference makers in business. It, it kind of shows that like, I think that I do think that that, that kind of nostalgia is only reserved for like the biggest of big stars in a lot of ways, like people like John Cena or maybe the undertaker or maybe Goldberg, uh, as opposed to maybe guys who are at like a level below, like someone like an edge or, or maybe Randy Orton in the future, or these guys who were seen as main eventers and were seen as like, you know, multiple time world champions, but were not the big business difference makers that, that some of these other guys were. Sure. So uh, we'll, we'll go to now. Again, if you want to throw a super chat in, you can. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom is coming up. Today's January 1st. Wrestle Kingdom is January 4th, Wednesday. So that to us will be like early morning Wednesday. Um, I, either of you are, are going to be up in the wee hours of the East Coast time to catch Wrestle Kingdom live. I might, I've, I've done it just about every year in the last several years or so. I'm debating um, it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't. I've done it. I've done it before. Um, Wednesday is the uh, like inauguration day at the Massachusetts State House for all of our new officials who were elected uh, into office in November. So I have to go to the State House on Wednesday morning. Um, which is really throwing off uh, real uh, journalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, or what I really want to do is stay up all night and watch Russell kingdom or as a contingency plan, work from home and watch Russell King, put Russell kingdom on in the background, which is probably what the most likely thing that I do is, but it's going to be very difficult to watch Russell kingdom at the Massachusetts state house. So, um, I'm probably not going to be able to watch it until later that evening. So Russell kingdom, this will be, let me get this straight. This will be a Tokyo dome. Of course, one night, thank God, one night, not two, uh, full capacity for the first time since January 2020, since just before COVID. Um, I, I know, you know Japan has been very slow about allowing people to cheer again. Cheering is allowed at this event for the, 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 the entire crowd. 
However, there are some some vague restrictions on the kind of cheering you can do, which I don't know is particularly pertinent to wrestling. But apparently it was like singing or extended chanting that there are limits on that. Or there's a special section over there that you can do that in that has limited capacity or something, yeah. right? I'd be curious to know how that's enforced. Like, is there going to be like stewards with like stopwatches? Like, all right, they're starting to chant now. And if it goes over 10 seconds, we need to uh, – they're going to get kicked out or, or something like that. Like um, – but yeah, I mean, it should it should hopefully be. Um, they're gonna. I believe they're. I haven't I haven't seen a number in a while, but I feel like the number I heard was twenty thousand uh, tickets out. Yeah, like then that was that was like probably a couple weeks ago. But it, I believe that they're going to be doing. They're not going to be doing as good as some of these high numbers that we've seen that we see in this chart, like you know, doing thirty eight or forty thousand people. But they are going to be doing better than they did last year. Obviously, only being one night. Um, kind of changes the math. Uh, there's these, um these numbers are from New Japan's official website, and do 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 either of you know when does the so what we believe about New Japan's announced attendances is that at a certain point they started to become more real, whatever that means. I think there, it's a reflection of of real tickets distributed, not tickets not paid, not paid attendance. Mm-hmm. Not ticket sales. Um, does anybody know the, the the moment in time where we believe these numbers became more accurate, as in ter- as, in terms of reflective of at least tickets distributed, as opposed to some fictional inflated number? I'm going to assume when Anoki left. <laughs> no, I'm going to no. assume I'm going to assume when Bushi Road brought the company, which was 2012, 2011. Yeah. No, even after that. So May, I believe the very end of May 2015 is the last of what we what we think are very unreliable attendances. And after that point, um, middle of 2015 or so, it becomes real. To, so that's Brandon, what I've got on the screen. Brandon, do you mean to tell me that there weren't 75,000 people at the Tokyo Dome for the Inoki final? I, I, I don't want to disrespect Antonio Inoki here. Uh, I'm sure – I'm sure, and we don't even believe that the, the Tokyo Dome – can fit seventy thousand. No, if we believe that, if we believe that this forty thousand figure is relatively close to what a sellout would be in the in the Tokyo Dome, that, that's day one for twenty twenty. Yes, it's it's highly suspect that seventy five or seventy thousand people uh, were at the Inoki final. But that was one of the tr- the funny trends of if you were to fall. Have you have you read the book Eggshells by Chris Charlton? I haven't, but I should. So there's an excellent book by Chris Charlton who does English commentary for New Japan, but he read he, it's called Eggshells, and it is a history of every single match uh, show to ever take place at the Tokyo Dome across all promotions. And a funny trend as you read it as they go out throughout the '90s and is how uh, everyone claims to sell out, but the figures vary very wildly on what it is. It's different configurations, different stages. right? But it goes from you know, like the Inoki final, which is 70,000 fans is a sellout. And then another show might have a sellout at 30,000 fans. Um, and it's like, there cannot be a 40,000 fan difference. In, in my days as a teenager covering Japanese wrestling, you know, and then I'm sure that this terminology is still being used today in terms of like the, the no vacancy, the super no vacancy. So everything is a sellout, a super sellout or a super no vacancy sellout. You know, they're, yeah, well, we we see that in the United States, right? Like, like there might be a sellout of WWE might say, oh, you know, they sold out or they came close to a sellout when they sold like eight thousand tickets to a Raw show. But if they were in a, you know, a arena that they w- they could have sold like fourteen thousand tickets in, then is that really a sellout? Um, is the elaborate staging 
that that WWE puts up and AEW two puts up that walls off seating. Like, does that count as a sellout? You put um, tickets on sale on the on the last day because you finalized your configuration, so there was still like you know right. If Forbidden t- Door Forbidden Door had like the obstructive view seats that were like behind the stage that they put out like a few you know like a week before the show, and those didn't go. They didn't sell all of those tickets. So did Forbidden Door really sell out? If they uh, still had, if there were still tickets you could have bought, uh, you know. I think that the point is like the sellout, as I've learned here, in in, in well, largely thanks to WrestleTix, is that there's not. Sell out and not sell out is not this easy binary question. It's you know, I, I think that the appropriate way to look at it is like, well, if you if you sold you know ninety eight ninety nine percent of the inventory that that was on sale for most of the time while these tickets were on sale, um, then it's probably a sellout. Or maybe that's not quite the right way to put it. But if you sold you know ninety nine percent of the of the tickets that could have been on sale given the the initial configuration, not counting like the la- the the fifty tickets that may have been put on sale on the final day or something like that. You know, I think that's close enough to what people have in mind when they use the word sellout. Um, anyway, uh, a brief there's something. Yes. Sorry, there's something interesting about this show in that the main event of the show, the, sh- the match that will almost definitely be going on last is Jay White versus Kazushika Okada, but there's also the Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega match, which mm-hmm. to Western audiences is probably a bigger deal than the Okada and Jay White match. Um, and, uh, Dave Meltzer told a funny antidote uh, where he was on New Japan World the other day. And New Japan World, if you just go to it, it defaults to being in Japanese. And there's a tab at the top. You can switch it to English. So they have a Japanese and English site. And when he loaded up, he, you know, there's a big Russell Kingdom banner at the top. And it's in Japanese by default. And the Wrestle Kingdom, the match on the Wrestle Kingdom banner at the top is Jay White versus Kazushika Okada. And then he went up to the tab and he switched the site to English. And it's the exact same layout, except the banner is still there, but the banner says Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega. So there's one match kind of being advertised to Western audiences as being the main event. And there's another match being advertised to the Japanese audiences as the biggest match on the show. Um, this reminds me of Pride in the, in the days where that was a you know a, a, a Japanese MMA event that was also being sold on pay per view in the United States. Mm-hmm. You'd have like Don Fry and, and Ken Shamrock at Pride nineteen. God, I remember the number uh, <laughs> where that was you know uh, an upper 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 card match, but it was not the main event. Um, I don't know what the Pride nineteen it might have been. Was Pride nineteen? No, that was Pride twenty with Vanderlei and uh, and and Krokop. Anyway, there were there were other matches that were bigger to the to the Japanese audience, but yeah, you'd have the, the U.S. audience that had a different. Uh, different interest um anyway the the brief history of the the attendance for these events over the, the recent years where we have from 2016 the first year that we have a credible attendance let's say uh 25,000 in 2016 26,000 so it gets a little bit higher and then 2018 it bumps way up to 35,000 uh 2019 38,000 and then 2020, they go to two days, and they draw 40,000 on day one, 30,000 on day two. That's a total of 70,000. Take that, Antonio Inoki. Um, and then the, the, the previous two years, they've done two-day events at a limited capacity with about 12,000 on the first day, 7,000 on the second day. So uh, you're hearing 20,000 out for this event at the moment. Yeah, I mean that's that's not an accurate figure, I'm sure, in some ways. But that is the number that I think was reported 
Um, so maybe we end up with like 30 and, and, and walk up as if the legend has it that, especially on events like this, and depending on the day of the week, depending on the weather, you might get a strong walk up, you might not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, week. we'll see what happens with that. I mean, a big thing in the, obviously during the pandemic years, but obviously like in the growth from 2016, 2017 to 2018, 2019 was a, a pretty sizable amount of foreigners coming in and going yes. to, to, have you guys, have you been before? I've never been to Japan. No, but, I've always been uh, all over the world. I don't know if he's been to Japan though. No, it's on the bucket list though, for sure. No, I mean I haven't been either. But but plenty of people, you know, traveling to Wrestle Kingdom, traveling to to Japan over New Year's to go to these shows. Like I forget, I, but I think the figure like Dave Meltzer was saying, like at, at like probably the biggest show, probably that 2020 show. You know, there was like ten thousand foreigners there, or so, or you know, a huge number of, of of foreign fans traveling to Japan for that event um and that obviously due to the pandemic has been totally out the window for most people i believe there is going to be some there are some foreign fans that will be at the show this year um but even now it's still very difficult to get sasha banks will be one of them yes perhaps yes sasha banks at ringside but um there was almost uh ten thousand at the budokam last night for uh mudo and nakamura okay so not a sellout but still a real that's a really big crowd yeah for for times yeah yeah for for any promotion and certainly for for noah and certainly for a non-new japan promotion and and budokan is another one of those arenas where like we thought the capacity was supposedly sixteen thousand (laughs) five hundred for all these years and it's maybe more like fourteen thousand or something like that um so anyway that's wrestle kingdom I, I I would be surprised if if the the number that they announce is in the realm of you know even the 2018 number I would I would I would expect it to be closer to this to the 2016 or 20, 2017 numbers which is you know one measurement their biggest event of the year that that it would may be reflective of you know look at the the, the state of of popularity or the strength of the business in new japan at this point it's certainly there was a peak here in 2019 and 2020 that that is in the past and it's not just it may not just be covid that has uh hurt their business but maybe there has been some genuine that may be related to covid but some genuine decrease in popularity and decrease in business for new japan uh but we'll, we'll see what number they announce uh for wrestle kingdom um anything more to say about this card here i don't have i don't think i have more to say um there's 12 matches um moving on to variety yes did you have something more no we're good we can move on Okay. Variety had put out an article, put out their annual article where they, they tell you for each network, or at least for the top 150 networks or so, this is how much viewership was lost for this network year to year. Um, we do, I do have to take issue with, with something that was in the, in, at the very first sentence of this article uh, from Variety. It begins, there may come a time when it just doesn't make sense to rank the broadcast and cable networks anymore. Actually that time is probably already here with most viewing now taking place via streaming and other means. And yet Nielsen numbers, which include time shifting and other ways people watch, not just live are the best barometer of who's watching what in the linear world. Uh, so at the time is probably already, with most viewing, most viewing takes place on streaming and other means. Um, is that, is that, is that an accurate statement? Um, is streaming as a percentage of all watch time and guesses on what that is and say the month of November. I don't have any guesses. What do you want me to guess? The the per- what percentage so, so, so of all of, watch of, time is streaming? Of all, t- of all TV time. What percentage is streaming? 
Did it all time did it not, spent in front of television? Did it recently not become the majority? I'll guess forty percent, but forty five percent, I'll say. It is yeah, about thirty eight percent according. So Nielsen puts out their their article called the gauge every month and they tell you here of all the of all the time that people in the united states spend watching a television how much of that time what percentage of that time is streaming traditional broadcast traditional cable and other stuff and it's all it's 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 now don't get me wrong it's been trending more and more streaming less and less traditional tv but i think people have this misperception and and apparently this this article in Variety does have this misperception that the majority of of TV watch time is streaming and and is not traditional TV. That's not the case. The majority of TV watch time is still traditional TV. It's getting smaller. It's getting closer to being less than half, but it's still more than half. In November, it was what's twenty six plus thirty two. That's more than half. That's more than fifty percent. Uh, people are, and I'm sure this is strongly skewed by older people who are skewing in watching traditional TV. That said, it's still the case that the majority of time that people spend watching a television is spent watching the old media, traditional broadcast and cable. Um, but anyway, we do have this, this will inform our view about um, all TV is down. Okay. How true is that? Uh, and we break this down. Variety breaks this down for us with Nielsen data by the network. So Nielsen uh, shows that ESPN is up. ESPN was up for the year. Paramount was up for the year. Uh, basically, every other network that I chose to look at here is down. And I've, so I chose to look at a lot of the top ones and then picked out some that are involved in wrestling. Uh, and we have, other than ESPN and Paramount, those are the only two on the screen that I've got that are actually positive year over year. Um, but So let's pick out some, some wrestling-related networks. USA Network, home of Raw, down 13%. TNT, home of Rampage, down 12%. TBS. Home of Dynamite, down 15%. Um, and Fox. Do we have Fox on here? Yeah. Fox should, yeah, 14%. It's down. Which is not as bad as most of the situation, most of the comparisons for, for wrestling. We're looking at total viewership here. So Dynamite, which is on TBS, is actually up 2% on the year. SmackDown is up 2% on the year, which is obviously better than, than their home networks. Uh, Raw is only down 1% as opposed to USA Network, which is down 13%. Impact on Access TV, down 13%. Access TV is down 13%. So right on par with their own network. Um, we have... I, they have something called Viceland on here, which I assume is the Vice Network, down 14%. Yep. Um, and Rampage down 22%, which is actually worse than TNT, which is down 12%. Obviously, Rampage has its own issues there. Um, but what I know what you're thinking, though. What about the demo? The demo, only ESPN is up in the demo. I mean, there might be some other networks that are up, but as far as the ones that I've selected here, which is about 20 of them or so, that I think would be of our interest, ESPN is up 13% in the demo. Everybody else is negative, and the moral of the story here is that most of these, again, most of these deltas for wrestling shows, yes, they're down in the demo, but they're not down as badly as their home network. Dynamite is down 3% in the Precious demo, but TBS is down 20%. SmackDown is down 7%, but Fox is down 23%. Just keep that in mind when we talk about how SmackDown and probably all wrestling shows are a loss leader and they don't make their money back on ad sales, but do they justify some portion of their subscription carriage fees? Raw. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say, like, I think, well, you can finish with the Raw thing because my point was related to that. Raw. 
is down 7%. USA Network is down 25%. NXT is down 17%. USA Network is down 25%. Impact is down 26%. Access didn't make this top 50 list. Uh, Rampage is down 37%. And TNT is down 18%. Um, and now, yeah. And something that we talk about uh, a lot on here are, are, is... Are we going to have this, this debate that I've been gearing up for, for for weeks on end? Yes. Oh, I don't think it's going to be that. I don't know what you're oh, talking okay. about, but I can't imagine you've been gear. I can't imagine you've been gearing up for what I'm going to say. Okay. Um, but we talk about how it's been reported a bunch and discussed a bunch. How important WWE is specifically to NBCU and specifically to the USA Network, and just how important wrestling is to that station. And you see the 18 to 49 decline here is minus 25 percent overall for USA Network. And that's with Raw and NXT taking up two out of the five primetime slots um, during the week. Uh, And unlike um, Fox and unlike TBS and unlike TNT, USA really doesn't have any major sports kind of thing that could be buoying the the network beyond having wrestling on it, right? TB- TBS yeah, has... what we are looking at here, too, by the way, is, is prime time. Below are the prime yeah. time rankers for broadcast, cable, and premium. TBS has baseball playoffs, and they have, you know, the March Madness tournament a couple weeks a year, and they have some, you know, sport, you know MLB. They have legitimate top-tier uh, sports programming um, on the, in their lineup. TNT obviously has the NBA, um, and now the NHL. So they have the, – and Fox obviously has you know the NFL and all sorts of other you know major sports in their broadcast network. So they, the, all those entities have kind of other things besides wrestling. USA Network really only has wrestling. And you look at the, the – even with Raw only being down you know a small percentage, relatively speaking, year over year in 18 to 49, USA is just – is down 25% over the year. So what does that say about all the other programming on USA? They're really sinking the ship. Um which is what, think, what are we talking about there? Probably reruns of Law and Order and things like that that are airing on prime, yeah, and, prime um, time. On, on I guess I was going to say it is an it is an Olympic year. Yeah, there was Olympic say. coverage. Yeah, but True. but USA Network also had the Olympics in 2021. They um they had the Summer Olympics, um, and it was on USA Network though. It might have been on NBC Sports. Oh, that might have still used that. That's a good point. They might have been on NBC Sports at the time. Um, uh, but. It kind of just goes to show the broader view of how important wrestling is to USA Network, how important it is to that part of NBCU's profile, and why they have been so aggressive in bidding high for for maintaining those raw rights. And they're probably going to continue to do so because their profile really needs wrestling to kind of keep that network afloat. Um, And if they didn't have raw um, and even NXT – seems to be doing better than the average USA network show. Um, their network would really cease to be relevant on cable packages, seems like. Yeah, and, and what we have there is is the delta for – it's just a percentage difference. I want to look at what's the – how does NXT compare as a – in 1849? US, 224,000 viewers in the demo, which – NXT is doing what do I have the number here? I don't. NXT is doing what? About, a, about a 0.14 on average for the year or something like that. So if I take a 0.14 and I can multiply that by the universe, which is 1304 or something like that, I get about 182. And this is telling me that the average is 224. So moral of that story is NXT is below the average, which I don't know. 
it, it's not inconceivable. Well, I guess that average includes raw, which is probably pulling that up anyway. Anything more to add there? The collapse of cable news is notable, certainly on the CNN and MSNBC. Um, yes. MSNBC is down 40%, CNN down 35%. Yeah. And we kind of talk about like on cable, it's sports and it's news. Um, obviously, on this scale, Fox News is still doing quite well comparatively, but these other major cable news networks are down huge um, compared to, to last year. And how about that? Uh, oh, go ahead. Who gets oh. the credit for Paramount Network being only down seven percent, and and when it comes to actually being up in total viewership by eight percent? Yeah, I mean, I say. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I would read a whole, I would read a whole book about Yellowstone because I find the having you know obviously everyone that listens to the show and obviously us three here, like just knowing what we know about cable ratings trends, the fact that a scripted show has been just so gigantically massive and is doing total viewership numbers on cable that are like are only rivaled by Monday night football. Um, I think my is incredibly fascinating is that Yellowstone have, has, have you, either of you ever watched an episode of Yellowstone? I yes. have not. Yes. I okay. I've watched like a couple episodes. Same thing. Um, here, yeah. <laughs> and it seems to me to be the, this is my suspicion is that there's it's, it's an, I, there are other scripted shows that are popular, obviously, but they are not clearly not as popular Maybe not, maybe in general than this show, but it's not, they're certainly not as popular on traditional TV. I think this is a, a show that appeals to the traditional TV viewer consumer more so than any other scripted show does. Well, clearly from a data perspective, but from like a, and maybe older audiences from like a theming or like a, a writing perspective, I feel, I feel like, you know, every show that I see pitched on, whether it's network or, or cable television is trying to capture that that audience, maybe that older skewing audience that still watches, you know, network television or, or, or traditional cable. Um, but the one, but this is the one that has captured all of those imaginations far better than any other show that's been put either on network or on cable television, um, which makes it so fat, makes it so fascinating. It's not like it's the only show out there that kind of is thematically catered towards like older white viewers, those shows are everywhere and they're being pitched all of the time. This is the one that was able to succeed and do it. Um, why exactly is it? is it Kevin Costner's star power? Is it because the show's, you know, very good? Is it very interesting? Is it just, it's just the perfect show that encapsulates that? It must be because it's not like it's on, it's not like it's on NBC. It's not like, a, or even like a, you know, or FX or, or, or TBS or it's on Paramount network, which is not a very big network. Um, it's the old Spike TV that was rebranded a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, rebranded. Was it, was, was, did Spike, am I misremembering this? Did Spike TV become Esquire Network for a short period of time and then became Paramount Network? Or is, I'm thinking of, maybe I'm thinking of G4 becoming Esquire Network. G, I think, yeah, Esquire I think was separate. Yeah. So I'm totally misremembering that. It was, it was Paramount. It was, it was Spike and then it was Paramount. Okay. Um, but yes, y'all y- respect your, your, uh, your governor, John Dutton. Um, so, uh, again, super chats, we will take at the end. If you have a question or a comment to put in, um, I, I guess when we're talking about wrestling ratings, especially if we're, we're looking at these year over year differences, I think it's worth mentioning that, um, there's definitely been trends that we can point out that, that are meaningful that over, over the, the course of the year, NXT has finished strong. Um, while AW Dynamite is up year over year, they flattened out towards the end of the year. Um, 
rampage has is continues to fall, but falls at a at a, at a less negative rate. Um, and I don't know, SmackDown is finishing strong too, especially if it, once we add in that last number, it'll probably be bumped a little bit more too. Um, so that's that's uh, the stuff before we now finally get into what I what I guess is like. If we're thinking about the year-end awards, whatever whatever awards system you you prefer, um, I think the, the 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 rest of the show will be quite meaningful towards that, or at least interesting. Um, most watched wrestling show episode is our first subject. What was the episode of the given wrestling show that was the most watched through the entire year? What single episode had the most viewers? And the answer to that question, which I revealed in our pre-show meeting, is nine twenty-three. 2022 Friday Night Smackdown. Smackdown is the most watched show on average, and naturally it has the most watched single episode. 2,535,000 viewers, 2.535 million viewers. The Cena episode might beat that. Good chance it will. Uh, And it also had the highest quarter hours, which are 9.23 at 9.23, or at least that was the second highest quarter hours, encapsulating that that minute uh, where, where they did have nearly 2.8 million viewers from 9 to 9.15, um, and then 2.6 million viewers from 9.15 to 9.30. Uh, and I don't think that what was with the content that was actually on the screen has that much to do with the, the quarter being up in that case so much as I think people were expecting Bray Wyatt to, to either return or for additional information clues to be revealed. How about that? How about if you were to give me 20 guesses on who was the highest rated quarter hour in wrestling this year, I would probably, I would never guess Otis. Otis. Yes. Uh, Braun Strowman versus Otis, the Brawling Brutes promo and an ad break. I think, I think we're giving Bray Wyatt too much credit here. I think, I think obviously people wanted to see Butch no cut respect, a promo. No respect for Bray Wyatt. No, no I think I think Bob. Butch Butch cutting a promo is really what the biggest rating was. I think that's what people were tuning in to see. Perhaps. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, the biggest. So I, I will have a conclusion to make here in a moment. The biggest growth quarter hours. Okay, so those were the two quarter hours that were that had the most viewers over the entire year for wrestling. But another way maybe sensibly to look at this is let's look at what were the quarter hours that grew the audience the most compared to the quarter hour that came before it. And I have here the top six, which gives us an example from each show, at least one example for each show. And I, we have for SmackDown on October 28th, growing the audience by 37%, 28% in the demo is the 815-830 quarter hour. Last two minutes of the Bloodline versus the Brawling Brutes. Post-match angle with Roman Reigns. An ad break. Bloodline live promo. Was that was that content responsible for growing the audience 37%? Maybe. I, I think we're seeing a trend here that Butch was featured in both of these things. I can't deny that. Um, Rampage. The biggest growth quarter. May 20th. This was, in fact, the, the, a preempted edition at 6.15 to 6.30. Uh... Brian Danielson, John Moxley versus Matt, uh, Matt Seidel and, and Dante Martin grew the audience 22%. Is that meaningful? Maybe. I mean, it's John, John Moxley and, and Brian Danielson. It doesn't, doesn't sound ridiculous. NXT, we got an overrun with LA Knight and Dolph Ziggler growing the audience 21%. Yeah, maybe that's meaningful. Uh, and then as far as something that's not an overrun, March 22nd, that, that last one was March 15th. This is March 22nd. Bobby Roode and Braun Breaker. 
grew the audience 20%. Maybe that's meaningful. Raw, Judgment Day, AJ Styles, the OC live angle. I believe this is where the OC returns to WWE on October 10th, grew the audience 20%. And Dynamite, June 15th, the post-match angle with the United Empire, Orange Cassie, Rapongi Vice, an ad break, John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi live promo, Jericho Appreciation Society and Suzuki Goon. Uh, I think we're also involved in that. Anyway, not sure about my label there. Uh, grew the audience 18%. These are the biggest growth quarters. Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to look at it, like all of these seem to check out, like they seem to be more uh, believable, I guess, in the sense. Judgment that- Day, a draw. AJ Styles and, and the OC, a draw. Yeah, I mean, you would say like, okay, like pretty much all of these, I would say, would have the what most people would view as the biggest star or, or one of the biggest stars on each brand. It's not Otis uh, in the in the quarter hour, but you were to say like, okay, like on on SmackDown, it's the Bloodline, it's Roman Reigns, it's it's that angle, it's you know on Raw or on Dynamite or Rampage, it's it's John Moxley, it's Brian Danielson, um, you know, Chris Just Jericho. We're about, still go. That's all. Uh, and then you know NXT, it's Braun Breaker versus Bobby Roode, and you know. The raw one is interesting because I, I wouldn't. I guess it's growth, so it's not like um, it's not total total viewership. You, you said in this very program, Jesse Edge is not a draw. Was wait, was Edge even involved in the Judgment Day by then? I guess he's probably been turned on by then. Had he been? Was he on television? I think he still. I think he was probably was involved. This is this is probably the Finn. Ba- I don't know. This is probably the Finn Balor Judgment Day by this time, October. Oh yeah, I think that's when Edge was on. But the- but, but he was feud. When did when did they write Edge off with that angle at uh? They had the I Quit match. Somebody Google it. Uh, yeah. I will Google it. Um, okay. Okay. Um, but that was the last time we saw him on television, right? Um, to this day. That was in uh, – was that Extreme Rules? Um, Which is in September. Yeah. This is October. Yep. So it would have been September. So no edge here. Uh, no edge here. Well, he was on Raw on October. Now I'm looking at seeing that Raw. He was on October. He was on Raw on October 4th. So was he on Raw after that angle? Anyway, um, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Okay. Uh, but by the way, if you want to submit a question or a comment, with the super chat will take it at the end. Um, so I want to kind of contrast this to ah, yes, Extreme Rules was on October 8th. Oh, okay. okay. So this would have been in the immediate aftermath of his Extreme Rules. So I think what happened was they wrote Edge off of television. And then immediately people are like, all right, I can tune back into Raw. And boom, that's why this 10-10 show did so well. Ah, I see. It, it fits perfectly. Yes. Um, so anyway, we'll look at YouTube. Um, and the the most – so let's do AEW first. The most watched – this is the most watched YouTube videos on AEW's channel in the year. And we have some lines here showing you the, the how these grew over time. And I'm only following them for the first seven days because that's the nature of the scripts that I, that I run. But um, – because that, that's when most of the viewership, most of the viewing, I should say, happens. But anyway, we have here the top 10 AW video, videos on the YouTube channel. And it's CM Punk is back in August. This is him returning from his injury and probably calling out Heyman Page. Uh, then number two is CM Punk earning his, uh, doing something with MJF. Jeff Hardy's return. John Moxley wins the, the title over CM Punk in that short match. Wheeler Yuta bleeding all over John Moxley. Keith Lee comes to AEW. Brian Danielson doing something with John Moxley, probably about to 
become a team or something. Brian Danielson doing something with John Moxley in February. I'm summarizing these for the for the weird titles that AEW gives their YouTube videos. <sighs> Jeff Hardy takes flight in an eight man tornado tag match. And what happened when the Hardy showed, showed up on Rampage? So what I'm seeing here is a lot of CM Punk, a lot of John Moxley, some Brian Danielson, a lot of Hardys. Um, and that tells me a clear story, I would say. I know we, we, we could look deeper into the court hours. I use my we'll, we'll look at the WWE before I, before I say something. All right, here's the top 10 for WWE. Okay, and I had to, because it's WWE and they have a lot of different content, especially archival content that they put on their channel periodically you know, every week. Um, I, I did some things to, to concentrate on things that happened in this year, as opposed to matches that they're posting from years ago. And I excluded things that had the word highlights in them that were highlights of an entire show. I ex- excluded kickoff events. I excluded things that said, that said playlist in them that debatably should have been included, uh, because they were, for example, playlists of, of the feud between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Anyway, the top 10 here is Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns in, in June. Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns in January. The Undertaker at WrestleMania getting a, getting a pop. Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns in February. Braun Strowman returning in September. MVP and almost attacking Bobby Lashley in April. Uh, probably right after WrestleMania. Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, and Roman Reigns in March. Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre in August. Goldberg and Roman Reigns in February, RK Bro and the Usos unifying the titles in May. And I think we see a pretty consistent story here in, the, in, these, in this top 10 of Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns with three different parties here, right? Drew McIntyre, Brock Lesnar, and Goldberg. Um, was, he, was Roman Reigns involved in the RK Bro versus Usos tag team match too? Possibly. I can't remember like the, the what happened in the match, but it's possible, right, that he yeah. was he could have been in the thumbnail yeah, or he could have been on the outside. I, I, I don't know. Um, it, was on, it was on SmackDown. I, I, anyway, um, and I, I, I feel that, and this has been you know, kind of the way I've been feeling in the, for months, is that the, the, if you want to know something about talent analytics, you want to know which wrestlers, which talent are associated with fan interest, with viewer interest, I think YouTube data tells you a lot clearer of a story than quarter hours do because quarter hours are marred with a lot more external problems that put a lot more noise into the analysis, including ad breaks, including what came before the show, uh, including what else was on TV at that moment. Um, Whereas YouTube, while YouTube is not associated with a fraction of the revenue that television is, nonetheless, YouTube will test for you which segments of the show are drawing interest in a way that is much more clean than quarter hours do because it doesn't have those problems of ad breaks in the middle, uh, the influence of what came before the show, what competition happened to be on other channels at the same time. Uh, and we get much more consistent stories, I think. We could look deeper in, into the quarter hours than we just did a moment ago, but I think we get much more consistent stories from this data. So do you think that WWE should sign and bring back Kavita Devi, the Indian power lifter who did the huge YouTube numbers? No, because that that's one example. But if we, no, have, I know. A I'm, 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 if we have a preponderance um, of examples over time. Yeah. You know what was interesting? When, if you can go back to the AEW ones for a second, uh, just kind of one of the things I looked at. If you look at two out of the four 
biggest YouTube videos, and certainly in, including the one that was the, the biggest by a wide margin, were related to that CM, the were related to the CM Punk John Moxley kind of build towards their match at All Out, um, which was kind of a controversial build, and in hindsight has kind of been blamed for being not ultimate ultimately not that effective when it came to selling the pay per view. Hurt the pay per view, perhaps. Yeah. Right. Um, but what's notable is that at least from YouTube data. It seems like people were really interested in seeing what was going to happen. Now, maybe they watched, you know, John Moxley squash CM Punk, and they weren't necessarily happy about it, and so they they tuned in to see that, but weren't tuned in to see the follow up. But I did think it's kind of notable that, like, as far as like you would YouTube would suggest, YouTube would suggest that was you know AW's hottest program of the entire year. Um, I mean, I just looking, at the I, I would apply a narrative of like people saw the match, so the novelty of seeing the match at the pay per view was 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 lessened right in that, that circumstance television right and it, had, it was a squash match that shocked everyone um but i thought that was relatively notable um obviously jeff hardy is doing quite well as a youtube draw um some of this is that they came to aw in or, or jeff did come to aw in that year but but he still got some some things that a couple things that made the top 10 after that right like like keith lee is you yes. know in the top five, he's probably not one of the top five biggest stars in AEW. But people, I mean, and you could say the same thing about WWE, like Braun Strowman's return was a highly yes. viewed video. Yes. But it would Braun Strowman now uh, be considered like a top draw in WWE? Probably not. Um, if, if we went further than the top ten for AEW, I bet we would see the the uh, debut of Samoa Joe in here. Mm-hmm. And not not to say Samoa Joe isn't isn't you know a valuable star for AEW, but he's no, but it's top. Ten. Right, right. We're looking at it kind of like in WWE, we're looking at Roman Reigns, we're looking at Brock Lesnar, we're looking at Goldberg, um, not, not Steve Austin. True. Yeah. Um, in the top 10 anyway. Yeah. The Undertaker, obviously, um, giving us TED Talk uh, was yes. up there. Oh, was at the Hall of Fame. So not. This, I was thinking this was the WrestleMania pop. You know, the MVP was. helps almost launch a sneak I attack on Bobby Lashley. Does that have like a hilarious thumbnail? Or something, because that one does really – doesn't it really seem to stand out as far as something that um, – I, I, I will add this caveat. When we analyze YouTube data, I think there is Brock Lesnar destroying things or anybody, if it's Braun Strowman even, big men destroying things, doing – make savage attacks, big men doing big gnarly things to each other or or even inanimate objects is – is a, is a special kind of YouTube draw. Vince McMahon knew that. He understood that, Brandon. He did. He did. <laughs> and, and we thank him for it. Yeah, and no, no, you know, we, we talk about sometimes like Google Trends and stuff like the, some of the, the female wrestlers and women wrestlers doing quite well and ranking very well in these. But interesting to note that neither in WWE or um, AEW that none of those YouTube – no YouTube videos seem to no be women. featuring women. No women. Um, Sexism is, is still is still alive. Yeah, maybe they need to to bring in Drew Cordero to 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 help solve that issue. But um. yes, so we'll uh, continue on here, and so we'll we'll now tackle some cage match data and look at what were the most highly rated matches on CageMatch.net. Bring all the cage match baggage into this. And we've got the top 10 most highly rated matches on the screen here of the year of 2022. Three of the top five are matches between the Briscoes and FTR. All, all their three big pay-per-view Ring of Honor matches. Number one, right now, and I believe in tied for number... We have a, wait, wait, wait a minute. We have a three-way tie 
by the way, this is very different than it was a day ago. I did this mm-hmm. just this morning, I think off of, I did this this morning off of a scrape that was probably made at like 1 a.m. last night. Cause yes, that's what I was doing with my New Year's Eve. I was doing Python scrapes of cagematch.net. But anyway, if we look at this at the, at the day prior, I scraped this <laughs> and the, the, the Julia and Shuri match had just happened. And that was way up at 9.78. And that has since calmed down because that match just happened on December 29th. But that, and that has calmed down to, to what I think is number six here. Anyway, um, Maybe people were getting, but even that that aside, some of the, a lot of these numbers have changed. Maybe this is just the fact that the, a lot of people it's the end of the year, and a lot of people are getting in there and and ranking their matches for whatever reason. They're going through their spreadsheets right. and they're uh, they're looking at. Um, and we actually have vote counts, so I guess we could we could yeah precisely look at this. Um, so let's say this this Ring of Honor April's first match, Briscoes. It's not even ranked here. And now it's number one. That is, is that right? True. That is true. It was not even in the top ten, and now it is number. Well, it is tied for number one. How many more votes would it has it gotten? I, I don't know because it's not on my my other table. But let's look at the sec. So Okada and Will Osprey from uh, this is the G one right? Yes. In, in uh, August eighteenth, that had three hundred eighty seven. Is that in the table? Yeah, it had three hundred twenty one. So it has fifty more votes. Maybe I just had an old scrape here. But I had 300 votes, so it's – and anyway, I won't get into the minutia of, of how I scrape these things. Um, we had a lot of votes. Uh, and let's see. what I, We'll do one more here. Um, and then the Royal Quest FTR and uh, Aussie Open match, which only had 51 votes. That's – that's oops. That's the October – is that still up here? It is. It had – went from 51 – maybe I just had an old scrape. Yeah, you have to have had an old scrape. I don't think Any, – Anyway. You can check in have, with – you can check in with Philippe if he has uh, gotten yes. a bunch of votes. A big, big influx. Yesterday. Anyway, the, what we're looking at now, this one that's in color, is is up to date as of Twilight last night. Um, and we have, yeah, number one, the Ring of Honor um, April 1st match. That's the straight tag, right? No no gimmick. This is the first, yes, this is the yeah. first one. This is a super card of honor one. Yeah. And then Okada and Will Ospreay from the G1. And then the dog collar match from the last final battle pay-per-view. And then from just tap out, El Desperado and Jun Kasai. Um, that that is number four. That is the that is the one that is not tied with for, for number one. Um, and then we've got an, another the Death Before Dishonor FTR and Briscoe's tag, and then the Julia and Shiri match from a couple days ago, and then Adam Page and Brian Danielson on the first Dynamite on TBS, and then. Kazusada Higuchi versus Takashita Konosuke uh, from DDT. And then Josh Alexander and Mike Bailey from just November on Impact. And then the Royal Quest FTR Aussie Open match. That's the top 10 right now on cagematch.net. Maybe some some hint of who will win the uh, the match of the year awards across your uh, your favorite awards. Well, the interesting thing about – so, well, for, when I, I – I've been reading a lot of uh, – wrestling award kind of articles and, and podcasts and stuff. And um, Gunther versus Sheamus, which seems to be kind of the consensus WWE match. Where's the, the WWE here? Not placing on this, which I find, I guess it's not super surprising. Um, in a lot of cases, having a high volume of votes doesn't help your case in this specific ranking. As mentioned by, we have there's, you know, just tap yeah. out and stardom and DDT and these smaller promotions that don't have impact that don't have as nearly as many people watching. Um, 
can tend to skewer more towards extreme extreme sets and votes. Yeah. I, I will uh, show you the the actual spreadsheet that this comes from. The number one WWE match is Gunther versus Sheamus from Clash mm-hmm. of the Castle. Do we have any other? The next WWE match is uh, Tyler Bate versus Trent Seven, which is a match that apparently happened on an NXT. Many, this I year. bet you that, the, and that doesn't have. I bet you compared to all other WWE matches, that has very few votes relative to like thirty-three versus. How many does the? Yeah, in the Gunther six hundred and twenty-five. Right. So, um, you know, that's one of the things with cage match. I also know in certain cage match communities, um, they're biased. They they love well, their wrestling well, too much. Here's what I'll say. I've been told that within the Joshi community, that's right. Those those are, those insane Joshi fans. There are people. Well, there are. They love it too much. They were are. They there are people who will make sure that certain Joshi ratings are very high, with the idea being as a kind of like a grassroots marketing campaign. That if people are looking at this kind of stuff, what's the best match twenty twenty two on Cage Match? What's the best promotion? Who's the best wrestler? And they see stuff. I'm sh- people are going to watch them. I I recommend people watch this El Desperado versus Jun Kasai match. I thought it was great, and I don't watch just tap out. You know, I don't watch that, and I don't watch Japanese death match wrestling really. Um, I hope, hope but because of the uh, listening, what? I hope Takamichinoku isn't listening. Um, I had a I had a good Takamichinoku joke that I'm not going to say on air, but. Um, but like that's what it is like this. It's used as a guide to recommend to people. I'm sure people would. Um, the Julia versus Surrey match actually declining makes sense because it this, just happened. And that's not a Joshi thing. In that case, that yeah. I mean that happens no. across events, across matches. They they usually, especially the matches that are really well received. And I, and I imagine it's the same for for things that people hate. Is that it starts off very extreme and then it kind of moderates as as time goes on. Yeah, if a match is really really good, it tends to be start out very high and then regress a little bit but a match is very very bad it often can be rated i mean i, I see that for aw pay-per-views where it'll start out yeah. at like a you know a nine and it'll get, get to under a nine as time yeah it on. tends to the people who are voting immediately tend to be maybe more extreme one way or the other than, than the more moderate voters coming in and kind of creating an average that's maybe more realistic yes um okay what else do we have here uh the wrestlers. Now, who is the most outstanding performer? Who has, so I, a way that you might get a hint about that is, well, who among the cage match data had the most matches that were rated at least eight, at least an 8.0? And by a, a, a wide margin, the answer is Will Ospreay, who has 38 matches in this year rated an eight or higher. Uh, that's two-thirds of his matches. He said he's got 58 matches that have any rating. Two-thirds of them are rated better than eight. Eight of them are better than eight, eight and a half, uh, but less than nine. And 13 of them are rated nine or better. Uh, following him, though, John Moxley. He's got 25 matches that are rated eight or better. Sure, he has 19 matches rated eight, eight or better, and she is tied with Mike Bailey. Uh, and then there's others that people can see on the screen here. So uh, FTR Bald is down here. He is, uh, I, don't, I don't know, what is he? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. He's number 13. He's, he's, he's trying to make his case, though, I know. But, but he's had, a, he's had a, an excellent year. Well, a big, so I crunch, all, as someone that crunches all this data for my own ratings, um, a big thing to me is, is it really depends on what promotion you're in and kind of how they allow, what they, what kind of situations they put talent in. Um, AEW, New Japan, even if you're, this is not 
even if you don't necessarily favor the AEW style, the New Japan style over like a WWE style promotion, um, they put their wrestlers, they give their wrestlers way more opportunities to have outstanding matches than WWE. Maybe under Triple H that changes a little bit, but... And our, our top rated W wrestler is Seth Rollins. He's the right. only one in this. I think it's his top 20 or so. And so it comes down to like, 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 uh, like they don't have anything like the G1 in WWE or, or AW. So it allows some of those new Japan wrestlers to have these 10 really important singles matches that are usually going to get a lot of time. And that allows you to have a match that's going to end up with a high rating as opposed to in WWE, you might not work that many matches like that. Even, you know, even even if you worked one of those matches on every pay-per-view, that would still only be about 10 matches for, in the entire year. Um, with Triple H taking over, there are tend to be longer matches on Raw and SmackDown, so maybe you see a difference next year um, in that. But just going through my data um, that I have, uh, like my data is almost all New Japan and AEW wrestlers because those are the guys who I see the most getting the opportunities to have those long matches that are, are will end up being considered quite good. Um, I, I did do this by tag teams. So there's no tag team erasure here. And FTR is number one by a wide margin. They have 10 matches rated eight or higher followed by the Briscoes. And the Young well, at in, 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 so are you counting the singles matches that the wrestlers have or just only, tag matches? only these two right. people as a tag team? Mm-hmm. So, so no, no young bucks in the trios matches, only this team as a, as a two-person team, I think that's what it was. Are we assessing a handicap to the Young Bucks that they are likely being sandbagged by some people who will never adamantly say that they'll never appreciate what they do, as opposed to FDR who hit the sweet spot uh, of of appreciation from all parties? I have not perfected my my anti-Young Bucks uh, algorithm yet to prep for that. <laughs> well, but I, I will so, work on that in twenty twenty. So, so this is just, again, this is just my personal opinion. But I was going through my ratings yesterday. And I have both Matt and Nick Jackson with at least 14 matches that I rated four stars or higher, which translates to at least eight in cage match rating systems. And I had, I had Dax Hardwood with 10 matches of four stars or higher. And I believe Cash Wheeler has eight. So there's two Dax single matches. Cage match has, has Dax at 13 by him just by himself. Well, I think, I think this would include. Yeah, this has to include. Yeah, matches. no, I, be- so I, be- not I just believe singles matches here. I believe it, but I thought it was notable because, like, I and, would. And the Bucks, that- I guess, sort of to answer your question is: here's Matt and Nick at what were they? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They're mm-hmm. they're together at eight, at number eight as individuals, yes. and this includes every match that either of them in, in right. And they're also tags. They're man, mostly whatever. in trios matches this year. I would assume a lot of those ratings are coming from, uh, you know, the the, the best of seven series. I know that's what's inflating their numbers for me is that I have every single one of those best of seven series, except I think one of them at at least four stars. So that obviously has helped them. They missed, they also missed time this year. No Kenny Um, here. Interestingly. Um, Well, Kenny, you know, Kenny only has those, those, those trios matches. Like he he missed the, yeah, he missed almost the entire year when you factor in what you factor in this, like the suspension and the injury for Kenny Omega. He's only wrestled for like two months. Um, and I know what everybody's thinking here before someone asks. Yes, I did, I did consider and I did do a multiple, a multiple linear regression. However, I decided that there just wasn't enough data for that multiple linear regression to be presentable because there wasn't – you end up with like – you end up with 
you can limit it to like people who had at least 10 matches, but then I, I felt that it just wasn't enough data. If we had like every match, I don't know. I, I guess there, there are a lot of people who just didn't have enough matches to, if we did a couple of years or did a decade, yes, I think we have enough data to do a multiple linear regression. What's a multiple linear regression? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a very mathematically, it's a, it's a, it's a really complicated math thing to, to basically ask the question, okay, let's take every given wrestler and ask each one, how much does this person seem to add to the match rating is how we, how it would apply to this case. And are you, so, so you're talking about situations like uh, Shohei Baba having a five-star match in 1995. It, it tries to take into account when this person's added to the match, what, what do, what, how much rating, how much ratings points do they add to the match? And, and when we're dealing with like, People who have, who have like twelve matches or ten matches, I just don't think it's a it's a broad enough data set. If we're talking about a decade, sure, uh, and and I've done that in the past, and it's something that I've well, it's it's not something that I've published, but I probably will sometime in the future. Um, anyway, uh, promotions. Now let's get everybody mad. Promotions that had who had which promotion is the best? Well, no, who, which promotion had the had the most matches on cage match that were rated eight or higher? in the year of 2021? And the answer is, again, for at least the fourth consecutive year, it probably goes back further. New Japan Pro Wrestling. Only edging out. Only edging out. All elite, so they had 62. Edging out. All Elite Wrestling at 60. And, and oh, hot on the, on their trail, though. World Wrestling Entertainment. 56 to AEW 60. Um, I have, have not included my... my uh, sandbagging Roman Reigns algorithm in this either we should point out that is, that that should, should be pointed out um, and then stardom and then DDP and then Noah game changer wrestling impact all Japan Gato move and of course big Japan uh, it's pretty notable to me that like WWE crushed AEW last year in this rating in the they year did. before that right That's surprising that WWE's rating numbers despite all the talk about uh, like you know Tony Khan mentioning uh, uh, our cage match or cage match being flooded by WWE bots once Triple H took over. That WWE's numbers are pretty much the same. It looks it appears to be that they're they're almost flat year to year as far as the number of matches getting eight yeah. or higher rating. It's, it's, it's so it's, it, it's oh, away from my expectations that I wonder if yeah. I did something wrong. <laughs> it's a, it's AEW getting the big boost this year. Um, It, it, is it maybe no Ring of Honor? By the way, included in AEW, they, they as Tony Khan reminds us, they are separate entities. Cage match use cage match did change um, how user friendly it, it, it used to be was better. For, it used to be better. Well, they used to, they changed it so now I feel like it's way easier and more user friendly to rate all matches than it used to be. It almost used to be like a, a match would have to get a lot of attention and then you'd be able to rate it, or it'd have to be rated already. And it seems like, like in the past year or two, it's now you can rate pretty much any match you see as long as it's over five minutes and as long as they each wrestler has a profile on the site. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I will, to get, this also goes back to my point about like opportunity that like the things like the G one in the way New Japan's main cards are structured, I think create more opportunity for the wrestlers to have outstanding matches, and that's why a lot of people like New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, it doesn't necessarily indicate that like new Japan's wrestlers are better than AEW or WWE's wrestlers inherently. But a lot of it is to me based on like how the roster is used and the, how people are permitted yeah. to have outstanding matches. Um, okay. And I think that's it for our, for our match quality assessment. 
Um, live attendances. Here are the top 20 or so live attendances, according to WrestleTix. Of course, leading the way, night one and night two of WrestleMania with about 65,000, 66,000 each night. Secondly, the Cardiff Clash of the Castle show with 62,000 out, according to WrestleTix. Then, SummerSlam in Nashville, 40,000. Royal Rumble, not, not, not next year. We're only talking about past events here, but Royal Rumble in St. Louis, 39,000. Money in the Bank at Allegiant Stadium? Did they move it? Yeah, that's. The, I was gonna say that's incorrect because they yeah. didn't have the show at Allegiant Stadium. They had it. They had to move it because of the lack of ticket sales. So they moved it to um, the MGM, M- right? Or is it T-Mobile? Yeah. One of the one of the one of the, one of the oh. arenas. And I remember at the time being like, "Well, they they have more tickets out than they have seats at the T-Mobile." And they what, didn't they didn't they basically say you had to rebuy tickets? Like you yeah. were refunded and you had to buy the tickets again. Clearly, this row in my table should have been excluded or fixed. Uh, so let's ignore that row. Uh, but then triple mania before AEW triple mania, uh, with, with one of their three, I believe triple mania shows with 16,700 out and then forbidden door, the most attended AEW show in the year forbidden door at the United center in Chicago, 15,000 out, uh, followed by raw in Toronto at 14, then another triple mania show in Mexico city in October, 14,000 out dynamite, in Inglewood, just outside of L.A., the Forum, about 14,000 out. Uh, and then, then another Triple Mania show, Extreme Rules, Raw at MSG in July. The Grand Slam show finally shows up here. So is, is that is that surprising people that the Inglewood show had more tickets out than the Grand Slam show? Inglewood, Dynamite in June. Does anybody I think even remember that show? What yeah, I mean, that was a huge... But their LA deal was a huge. Their LA show was a huge deal. Um, like when it was, it was the Bucks out. coming home, like that was the big thing about it. Yeah, it was their Los Angeles debut. It I was, remember them having like a big match on Rampage at that time. Is that right? Um, I don't know. So that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. Um, the uh, I'm trying to think. So like, how does the timeline of like Triple H taking over line up? So. That July twenty second is when Vince stepped. So that Raw at Madison Square Garden was the big like Triple H's first show. Like, um, there was this a picture. Is, this is where Brandon Ross took the picture. Of, yeah, I was gonna say that uh, Brandon Triple Ross H on the ramp had the picture of, of yes. Triple H. So that was uh, you know that was the big one. That Raw in Toronto. Um, was there anything special on that show, or is it just you know being in Toronto? Uh, I think maybe for the first time since the pandemic and and doing um a big show there. Was there anything notable on that show at all? Um that people can remember maybe in the chat. Um, obviously the WWE stadium shows carry, you know, I'm sure. And if you were to rank this by gate, those WWE stadium shows would be huge. Um, I was listening to the Cubs fan did a, uh, a, a, a recap of like the year in Lucha Libre. And he talked about the, the, the success triple, uh, triple A has had. And, and, and instead of doing the one triple mania event, kind of leveraging the AAA Mania brand name to have three separate events. And you can see that being reflected in the success that all three of those events had, you know, all doing, you know, some of the largest attendance seen in wrestling this year. Um, we talked about in Japan, the, the way business has been in Japan, obviously no Japanese promotions at all um, here. Uh, well, uh, Russell Tix isn't is tracking Japan. That's the issue. We'll, we'll get into some Japan specific I don't, attendances. Yeah, I guess me, Russell Kingdom. You had the the, the the Russell Kingdom stats from like maybe night one of Russell Kingdom last year, but that that's the um, only one. R- Russell Kingdom with limited capacity. 
uh, where is it? It is slide number 10 on, on our, on our thing here. So it had 12,000. So, yeah, so it still wouldn't crack it. It wouldn't make this list that we have up here. And I'm sure that's the biggest, is that, would that be the biggest attendance in Japan? I don't think anybody would have broken. Yeah. 12, I don't 000. think anyone broke it. Um, um yeah. uh, for, for a wrestling show, certainly not. Um, but I think, you know, can you go, can you go slide just real quick? So if you excuse the WWE stadium shows, um, if we just, obviously that you can't excuse them. They're huge success shows, but it seems like as far as this year, AEW and WWE are, are pretty much on equal footing when it comes to their biggest shows. WWE is obviously doing bigger crowds on a more consistent basis, but as far as the biggest shows of the year, um, outside of the stadium shows, uh, and certainly like the biggest raw versus the biggest dynamite, they're relatively similar in the, in the size they're, they're drawing. Um, you're talking about dynamite compared to like raw or SmackDown. I'm talking about like, if like you were to say like uh, entries on this list outside of the WWE stadium, they're, shows. their biggest ar- arena level shows compared to one another. Yeah. I mean the stadium reviews this- for, for- yeah. It's, it doesn't really mean Dying anything because you can't really excuse the stadium shows. The fact that WWE was able to draw those big audiences and, and do those gates is obviously a huge success. Um, yeah, what did they have announced next year for their stadium show? So Royal Rumble is going to be in a stadium. In San Antonio. Uh, um, WrestleMania, it, obviously, in, in, is, in L.A. Is SummerSlam announced for a stadium yet? You would think they would do it again if they were have, they had success in Nashville. Detroit is the front runner, according to Fightful. Has that been announced officially? And that would be a stadium show, and perhaps, and maybe not. But they have a, obviously a big stadium in Detroit. Well, yeah, it would be stadium if it was Detroit. Yeah, I mean they Ford, could do Ford the Field Tigers. Probably. That's still a stadium they're, they're show. Doing, yeah, yeah. They're probably doing Ford Field. Whether it's Ford Field or Comerica, um, but um, that's likely to be a stadium show. Um, will they try Money in the Bank as a stadium show again? Maybe not at the same time as UFC on the same event, which is what they said. Uh, that's, uh, but. Let's, 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 since we're on the subject of attendance, let's jump to, uh, the average. So this will stay in the U S we're going to go to some Japan attendance in a moment. Uh, so let's look at the, the average, uh, the average in the count and the total and the max for the various AW and W event types. Um, and including a lot of stadium shows, W pay-per-views averaged 30,000 with the max, of course, being one of the WrestleMania events. I think it's night one. I don't know. It's one of the WrestleMania events is 65,653. Um, AEW averaging 11,680 across five pay-per-views, including the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. SmackDown is the weekly TV show with the highest average. Uh, Raw comes next. They both are in the mid-7,000s. Dynamite averaged 5,317. AEW tapings that were not Dynamite, that were just Rampage and or Battle of the Belts, averaged 4,500. And W House shows averaged a little bit below that at 4,100. And that's been trending downward as the year has gone on, both both in the case of um, House shows and, and I think Dynamite as well, as they take it by quarter. What do you think about the – what do you think about the difference between Raw and SmackDown in selling tickets? Because – SmackDown is is definitely treated as the more important show, and it certainly has the biggest stars. It has Roman Reigns and and uh, Ronda Rousey and Bray Wyatt and whoever your John Cena this you know obviously this week. Um, and SmackDown is also running on Fridays, which most people would consider to be a better 
uh, day of the week for drawing live attendance, but they're pretty much equal in in what they're drawing. Do you think that's just Raw having a, a strong legacy brand at, uh, t- to viewers, even if you, you can objectively say that SmackDown is the bigger and more important show under the way the, the way WWE has treated it the last few years? Um, that the gap isn't really that big, despite SmackDown seeming to have a lot of advantages when it comes to drawing. It might have to do with market too. If we would, if we broke this down to market, that's some factor. Is that enough of a factor here to explain a large part of the difference? I don't know. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's interesting that you know if we look at Q3, and we probably talked about this at the time, but Q3 for Raw outdid Q3 for Raw last year, which was the return to touring time. Um, I would not have yeah. expected that. I mean, I think we talked about um, this like like back in that time period. That, in, in my opinion. When Triple H took, when Vince Vince stepped down, Triple H took over, and there was this big curiosity bump for what WWE was going to look like. A lot of the people that were maybe tuning in for the first time in a few years to see what would happen, or to see Vince addresses rumors, or, or what would it, would it, whatever they you want to say, shows because of that. Perhaps, but the but for, for the for the for the viewership, like Raw saw this huge bump, and SmackDown saw a bump, but it wasn't nearly as big as Raw. And I was my hypothesis is that those viewers, these these viewers that maybe are not have not been viewing the product a ton over the last few years. Raw is obviously the A show. It's still the marquee signature WWE show of the week. Even if in the last few years since SmackDown has moved to Fox, clearly SmackDown is the A show in, in the minds in, uh, of, of WWE, in the minds of regular viewers. But for the curiosity viewers, for the people who maybe were, were coming back to sample the product, Raw is still seen as the marquee WWE show that you want to watch to see what the product is like. Um, that, that, that does include... That Q3, so this is the this is August twenty second. So we were asking about the um the Toronto Scotiabank mm-hmm. Raw. Uh, it had what did it have on it? It had Edge Toronto's own Edge against Damian Priest in the main event. Um, Kevin Owens against Chad Gable. I mean, these are just the matches. There might have been something that was not a match that was significant on this, but uh, that, that's what was on it. Um, well, if you before. scroll down in the cage match section, some of our enlightened cage match uh, viewers might re- recall anything notable. Um, like if there was me- memorable segments, doesn't seem like it was. Just seems like it was a regular Raw show. Um, but they did that whole t- the whole Canada tour for WWE that during yes. that time period was huge. They did great business in Western Montreal, Canada. Yeah. They did great business in uh, Montreal. Were they in Montreal? They- yeah, yes. they were. Yes, they- so they were in Montreal then. Um, yeah, I think they did SmackDown in Montreal. But yeah, we talked about the time is that WWE's business in Canada being kind of their first major tour of Canada since coming back. They did really good business. Yes. Um, and as we, we jump back to slide 39, um, the most highly rated individual events, and we're going to go back to attendance later with J- Japanese attendance. Well, anyway, the most highly rated individual events, which include weekly TV shows as well as major events like pay-per-views and the Hanakamura uh, event is the most highly rated event on Cage Match. Um followed by Stardom Grand Prix show on October 1st, then the Forbidden Door show which has many more votes than, than those other two shows. Uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro, the Summer Sun Princess show. And then a couple episodes of Dynamite, the June 1st one, which is the LA show, uh, August 17th. I don't know what that one was for Dynamite. Uh, Noah, the New Year, which is not this not not this morning's show, but last year's show on the New Year. Uh, G1 Climax from August 6th, New Japan Revolution. The list goes on and on. Um, I don't know if there's anything meaningful there or that exciting there to talk about um but if we look at this by 
let's just look at the weekly or the regular TV shows with the pay-per-views, W pay-per-views against AW pay-per-views. I should say W premium live events against AW pay-per-views. Look at AW Dynamite versus Rampage versus Raw versus NXT. The show, the weekly show with the highest average event rating on Cage Match is Dynamite with a 7.7. It is also the leader for the high the high point, the high mark of 9.2. The highest rated Dynamite is 9.2. The lowest rated Dynamite is 5.7. The lowest rated of any of these is a 1.2 for SmackDown. Yeah, <laughs> I want to know. I'm going to – hold on. I want to see what happened on that SmackDown I, I, show. I think that's that's one of the, 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 the latter days of um, Vince McMahon where he had, he had like 11 minutes of wrestling or something on a two-hour program. Yeah. Um, but Rampage is number two. Raw is number three. Um, AEW pay-per-views – Outdo oh AWP freeze outdo WPLEs eight point two to six point six. AW also has the edge on the high point of eight point nine to eight point two for pay per views. Um, while while you're looking that up, uh, we've been looking at at this over the years of well no, over the months of uh, looking at well what what's the way what's the difference been since Polovac has been in charge of creative and Vince McMahon has been out, and I did break this down by by Vince versus Triple H and. And Triple H is decisively ahead of Vince when it comes to cage match event ratings. Um, the average for pay-per-views is a 7.6 under Triple H. is a 5.9 under Vince. Uh, that's just within the year. Uh, SmackDown is at a 7.4 versus a 5.1 under Vince. Raw is at a 7.3 versus a 5.9 under Vince. NXT, even though Triple H is probably largely delegating that to Shawn Michaels, is at a 6.5 versus a 5.8 under Vince. So I know what everybody's asking is, well, what about what about when you compare Triple H's TV shows to Tony Khan's TV shows in the year? What about that comparison? Um, and the answer is, so let's take what's a SmackDown is a, is a 7.4 and Raw is a 7.3. And we still end up just behind Dynamite with a 7.7. Better than, than Rampage, though. Yeah, I mean, the the what people one of the things that like the jarring things and one of the things that was being talked about when Triple H took over and the kind of change on cage match was that the, especially raw, I remember, I guess SmackDown was even worse, but those shows were not well received at all under Vince. Like even if you look at SmackDown, like their average in April of 2022 was a 4.5. It was a 4.6 in July, like pretty consistently right around five, which in cage match terms is pretty low. Like if you see a show with a five, even though it's supposed to kind of be an average, that's a really low rating. Um, And obviously those have seen a big jump. Um, since Triple H took over, I think since like the Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns, especially on the SmackDown, like the Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns thing is like a legit, um, angle that fans seem to really enjoy, which didn't, they didn't really have an angle like that in the first half of the year. Um, so whether that you can credit Triple H with that or, or not, it's an obvious thing that I think has improved the shows. Uh, I have found the bad SmackDown. Okay. They drew they drew eighty four hundred fans to it in Fort Worth, Texas. So it was a pretty big crowd. Uh, on uh, it was on July eighth, um, just trying to do so, like you said, near the end of Vince. And there was uh, yes, there was no, his last works of art. There's no wrestling on the show. Um, <laughs> we opened it up with a Viking Raiders versus Jinder Mahal and Shanky tag match that went a minute fifteen. Then we had Shinsuke Nakamura versus Ludwig Kaiser, which went six and a half minutes. Um, Ronda Rousey beat Natalia in two minutes. The Usos beat Los Lotharios in two minutes. And in the main event, Drew McIntyre beat Butch 
uh, in a minute, 30 seconds. So you're right. There was like under 10 minutes of wrestling. It seems like on this show. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you what any of the angles were. Um, but it seems to be the ratings seem to be most people just complaining about how there was only one match that was longer than two minutes. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Where should we go next here? There was also a 25 minute Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman promo segment on the show. Apparently that's good. I'm sure there are many facial expressions. Um, okay. And we'll go to, let's look at Japanese wrestling attendance. Which one do I want to look at first, though? Yeah, I think we want to look at this one. So what I did here, I don't know, we got to put some big caveats in here. These are numbers from Cage Match, which probably come from the promotions themselves or come from Japanese sports outlets. So very questionable numbers that we're dealing with. But if we're dealing with a lot of data, maybe it gives us some general idea about what the hierarchy, what the order is of, of, of promotions when it comes to attendance. And what do we see here? So what I... What I narrowed this down to, I had some qualifiers here. What I wanted was you got to have at least 50 events on the year, and we got to have at least 75% of your events have numbers to them. So that's what we got here. Um, and we've got New Japan with the highest average, followed by Stardom at 702 with an average of 702, which is well above their, their 469 of the year prior, followed by NOAA, All Japan, Kyushu Pro Wrestling? I've never heard of this. Have you heard of this, Jesse? Kyushu Pro Wrestling? Kyushu. You familiar? No. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, fo- followed by dra- higher than Dragon Gate. Higher than Dragon Gate. Followed by Oz Academy. Followed by Gleet. Tokyo Joshi Pro DT, and, of, and of course, Pro Wrestling Freedoms. Um, yeah, what's going on with Kyushu Pro Wrestling? With an average of 430. Anyway, and then I extrapolated, okay, we know the number of events you have. Let's just multiply the number of events you have by the, the known average that you have. Uh, and it's, it's a similar breakdown. But then I wanted to ask, okay, who among these has both a higher average and a higher total, estimated total? These are all, these are all very, you know, very questionable numbers. But who has a higher average and a higher total by this data than they did last year? And two promotions are true in both of those questions, and that is Stardom and Gleet. Um, and, and any news, Jesse, on on Kyushu Pro Wrestling, the la- the latest update? Um, seems to be a small regional independent group. You said you wanted at least fifty shows. Um, yes, at Cage Ranch, I'm only seeing I'm only seeing that they ran thirty one events in 2022. Hmm. Okay. So, and what's their? Let me do some quick calculations here. What's their uh, their average? 430 attendance. Their average is 430. So even if we were to times that by 31, that would only put them at 13,000. Total. Total. Maybe there's a a problem with my spreadsheet. Um, Um, (laughs) I'd be very surprised if they were doing bigger than Dragon Gate. And Dragon Gate's not doing like particularly well at the moment. But um, I mean, Dragon Gate was the number two drawing promotion in Japan before the pandemic. In in 2019, Um, that's what we see here. Yeah. and they haven't experienced. They've. Uh, there's been a few reasons for. I think that I'm not the biggest Dragon Gate Dragon Gate expert, but they they have. Uh, well, we'll have to defer the, to Iron Mike Spears someday. Well, they're launching a new generation of talents. That's part of it. Is that they are aggressively pushing a lot of younger wrestlers, and um, as we t- talked about, when it comes to like, you know, the new names don't move business like the old names in, in WWE. The same can possibly be said for Dragon Gate. Um, 
No more Masato Yoshino. Masato Yoshino is retired. Shima and um, some of the Strong Hearts guys aren't with the company anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Shingo Takagi obviously left to go to, to New Japan, although he was on the most re- he was on the Christmas show. But right. uh, you know they're they're pushing Shun Skywalker. They're pushing they're pushing you know Yuki Yosh- Yoshioka as their world champions. Um, so that takes time. Uh, Stardom, obviously, their growth um, on all these charts is really impressive. You know, they were purchased by Bushi Road over the time period that we're looking at. Um, yes. We were looking at 2019 to 2022. Yeah. And they've developed a lot of talent. We'll see. Um, they could be staring at a very big 2023, especially if Sasha Banks is associated with them, certainly in the Western audiences. Pro Wrestling well, Noah was bought by Cyber Agent. Um, and we, we have one more way to look at this. So you might be thinking, well, this, this, data is kind of nonsense and maybe it's not really fair because there's a lot of attendances that aren't reported here so one, one way maybe that may be better to look at this is look at just Korakuen Hall attendances because everybody probably everybody here runs Korakuen Hall uh so what I did was give me all the Korakuen Hall shows only Korakuen Hall and when you rank it this way New Japan is not nearly number one in 2022 they're averaging wow. Korakuen Hall Maybe their their numbers are just more truthful. That's possible. But their average on cage match, the attendances that are on cage match, which is 31 of them, 718. And they're number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're ranked number seven here. Does this make any sense? Yeah. Number one is stardom. So so with I know there was a lot of discussion. Is this a limited capacity issue? Part of it is I don't know how much of it is limited capacity in the sense that it doesn't really impact it would that, that would theoretically impact most of these promotions. Uh, a discussion that I heard in New Japan circles um, in general with their business is that throughout the pandemic, they've overrun – they've ran Tokyo too much in general and that they have run Korokan Hall in particular too much. Now, if you compare – they only ran 31 events in 2022 compared to 39 in 2019. So it's not like they ran that much more. But um, Looks like they, they ran 67 ran, times last year or in right, 2021. right. Um, and, but they, they've run, you know, almost twice as many events as, as, as almost any other promotion in, in Tokyo, in Kurokan yeah. Hall. Yeah. And there's an argument that they are like overexposed in their audience. Um, I'd have to look at their scheduling. Some part of me thinks that they ran like, like during like, I don't know if it's best of the super juniors or, or world tag league, but they ran like Kurokan Hall shows, like one after another, um, as opposed to spreading them out maybe more throughout the year. Uh, and there are probably other caveats like limited at, at the capacity that hardcore pro fans of their listing are probably shouting about as, as they're listening to this. Um, but number one is it, for these numbers, whatever they're worth, number one is stardom. Number two is a, a conglomerate of shows that are just categorized as freelance shows. Mm-hmm. All by Dragon Gate, All Japan Pro Wrestling, Actress Girl Z, and that's Gold's favorite promotion, uh, Oz Academy, New Japan, Freedoms, Zero One, Real Japan. Maybe we could go on. Okay. But Stardom, who knows if this, 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 these numbers are credible, but Stardom appears to, to be doing better over time, uh, especially when we look back at um, where we're looking at the, the, the attendance overall here. Um, Stardom is also continuing to climb in, in web search in Japan. This is Google web search just focused in Japan. And since 2021, they've exceeded above WWE. Above Dragon Gate, above Noah. Noah is looking to, if we look way, way down here in the, the bottom of the Y axis, Noah might be exceeding Dragon Gate at this point. 
Um, and New Japan, of course, is multiple times above all of them. But stardom continues to climb. Um, and I remember I, I'd, I'd said it at, at, on uh, a podcast probably like uh, earlier in the year, oh, more than a year ago. In, in April of 2021, Lavi mentioned that I was saying that uh, stardom should be considered among the five biggest promotions in the world. Uh, pe- people did not like that I said this. Got, got, got some got some very questioning feedback on this. Uh, but uh, Stardom seems to be doing okay. And maybe if – and who knows what, what Sasha Banks will end up doing if she'll end up going to Stardom or maybe just the USA version of New Japan. Um, it, that may be in for another boost. Yeah, like five? Like what, what other giant promotions do people think exist in the world? Like I guess I guess they would have to be – you would definitely say that – WAW New Japan. Okay, who's, who's after well, that? Well, AAA and CMLL I would assume True. are bigger than, than – than those two, than than stardom, surely. I guess, so I guess I was, I question this as a revenue generator. I think the the two big Mexican promotions are at a disadvantage just because of the economy that they're in. Right. I, but stardom if we're talking about like drawing crowds and drawing paid crowds as opposed to like Greg Colley's promotion drawing a huge crowd in India, um, like a real and, and obviously having a long historical legacy of being a functioning business in both of those promotions standpoints, I would still rate them higher than Stardom. But Stardom is the number two promotion in Japan based on a lot of metrics. Um, but we've seen this before, like people being hesitant to say that Dragon Gate was the second biggest promotion in Japan. Um, like Dragon Gate can't be bigger than all Japan pro wrestling. Um, or Dragon Gate can't be bigger bigger than Noah. And like DDT can't be bigger than all Japan pro wrestling, but it is. Yeah. Um, so part of that is a legacy thing. Stardom hasn't been around that long. Yes. Um, I know there, there was some, some data from, was it krt.jp, something like that. There's, there's some sort of public looking website and I, I'm, I'm not prepared to talk about this, but, but there is some financial data about at least Noah. I think showing Noah is, is, is still a money loser for what that's worth. And that's, and a few other promotions, there's data out there. Right. Well, cyber agents, the big company that owns pro wrestling Noah. I don't know if that, I don't, I'm, I'm way over my skis here, but I don't know if that's a publicly traded company and some of their expenses are, have to be publicly disclosed, but I'm sure they're not like breaking down in their filings. Something that says right. it's a small piece of their business. I know yes. cyber agent lost a lot of money this year in general. I think they spent, a, I think they might've spent like a lot of money, like broadcasting the world cup in Japan and things like that. Like it was a very aggressive spending year. And if I recall, the outlook was that they'd feel comfortable continuing to aggressively spend which would be theoretically a good thing for mm-hmm. for Noah and uh, DDT and Tokyo Joshi Pro and those all the promotions under their umbrella. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we expect Sasha Banks to make some sort of appearance at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, She's not announced for a match. No. That's important. But and should we be calling her Sasha Banks? Should we be calling her Mercedes Monet or whatever her name will end up being? Mm-hmm. Um, will she? Will she form a? a a tag team with Big Boss Shimizu. These are the questions that the people want to know. Um, and so then another question, speculation about who is Soraya's partner going to be on the January 11th LA Dynamite? Is it going to be Sasha Banks? I would, I would, I would, if I were to put a gun to my head and make me guess, I would say yes. I think so. Uh, I don't know anything. I would think Just based so. on, based on, under, based on having I would, studied I Tony's. Based on Tony not, not downplaying that. Yeah. Yeah, he has not said anything that would lead people to doubt it. We do have uh, Alan Cunahan in the chat oh, saying, uh, 
hey guys, just on the Japanese attendances, okay. restrictions by and large the same across the board, and numbers are legitimate for the most part. Everybody reports real numbers now, so he would know much more about it than, uh, than we would. Have so you watched the December eleventh, uh, two thousand match between Yuji Nagata teaming with Masanobu Fuchi, ver- Fuchi versus Takashi Izuka, and um, and it, you know, it's Takashi Izuka and Yuji Nagata versus Toshiaki Kawada and Masanobu Fuchi from Osaka Prefectural Gym, December 11th, 2000. Alan, Alan sent you the link. You've, you've watched it. Your thoughts? I have watched it. Oh, okay. okay. He might have sent me the link. I feel he did. He sent, I did. He, he, he sent us both the link. Oh. Yes. Yes, so, so that done. I don't have to. There's I was going to send you wanna the do VHS less. tape. Had the package ready to go. The, but Alan there's said nothing I want to do. There's nothing I want to do less than disappoint Alan. So, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. A uh, few more things to go through here. I've uh, prepared a lot of data. Who had the most matches in 2022? Well, at least based on the data that we have from Cage Match, which is, oh, I know people are going to remind me. This is an incomplete source of data, but it's probably the most complete for the country of Japan. Um, and we have, who had the most matches? Well, it's almost, I mean, in the top 20 or so here. It's I think it's completely people who have wrestled in Japan. And that's usually the way it right. is. These are the the top the top three are Japanese indie workers. Fuminori so. Abi, are you familiar with him? I am not. Uh, yeah, he he's in Big Japan a lot. Um, what's another promotion he's in? He's like it's like it's like it's like pro wrestling brats or something like that. <laughs> brass like B R A S. Um, you just put any noun in front of the word pro wrestling. Yeah, you, but he you probably got but, yourself a Japanese. But wrestling. yeah, he's you know these are um, these are indie workers that they run like I think he did like like Big Japan runs like you know almost a hundred probably around a hundred matches uh, shows a year maybe more. Um, these are, there's, there's, the, and I feel like if you were to go back year over year, a lot of these guys would be, the sim, would be similar, especially since WWE's kind of toned down their touring. Um, there's no WWE match wrestlers on this. Um, there's no American wrestlers on this. I don't we'll, think. We'll, we'll get to a U.S. Canada isolation in a moment. Number um, two is Shigehiro Iri, who is often, and and this is not just Japan. I'm sure for him, he's he's gone to the U.S. and whatnot. Right. As well. He's a, he's in Europe a lot. Um, a tie between. Fukujin Death, who I believe is a comedy wrestler. Um, and then a bunch of Dragon Gate guys. That's so typically... This, this, I think this is just an alternate name for the same person. Oh, okay. That, that, okay. So, yeah. 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 Um, it's, a, it's a woman wrestler, I'm pretty sure. She wrestles for Tokyo Joshi Pro a lot. Um, terrible, terrible wrestler. But uh, if it's who I'm thinking it is. Um, but then, like, like basically, uh, uh, some independent, Japanese independent wrestlers, but then a lot of these guys are... Dragon Gate guys, and that's basically since I've been following it, consistent with what happens year to year. Dragon Gate runs the most shows; they run a lot of small shows, and these guys wrestle a ton of multi-man tag matches. Until we got, and by the way, so Fuminori Abe has two hundred and one, two hundred and one matches. The only person with over two hundred, but we're also seeing again, uh, Iri, Fukujin Death, Dragon Kid. Let's see if I can pronounce these names: Ieta, Daimonji So, Takayua Nomura, KZ. Get that right, Kai. Yeah. Yuki Yoshioka, Susumu Mochizuki, I know that guy, uh, Kota Minora, Masahiro Takanashi, Daisuke Sekimoto, still going strong, Saki, Masaki Mochizuki, BB Hulk, Benke, Yamato, HYO, and Asuka, not, not the, not the WB Asuka, I'm sure. Um, who's Susumu Mochizuki? Do they mean Susumu, Susumu Yokosuka? Oh, oh, he's in, he's in like the Mochizuki the stupid Dragon Gate Mochizuki stable where everyone has Mochizuki as their last name now. (laughs) 
Well, I think back in the day, or I'm glad Alan's listening because so back in the day, wasn't he originally Susumu Mochizuki? Like in the in the oh, that's Dragon Gate lore. I don't know. I see when I first started really watching uh, Dragon Gate, he was Jimmy Susumu to me because he was in the Jimmy stable where everyone's name was Jimmy, and then he has been Susumu. So in in my my VHS days, I think he was Susumu Mochizuki. Yeah, so maybe he's back with the with Mochizuki and Mochizuki Junior, and probably some other people named Mochizuki. But he's um. He also he wrestled uh, I think I don't know if it was this year but he wrestled like a lot like in like Noah um, mm. I think he was a junior heavyweight champion in either Noah or All Japan. Um, so what would maybe of interest to, a, to a, more of our listeners is what what's the U.S. Canada breakdown of this and we're gonna look at who had the oh this is only yeah so it's like the top fifty or so the most matches in the U.S. or Canada according to Cage Match it's not a complete record I'm sure it's missing a lot of indie stuff but number one is an indie worker Alec Price. Um, Who've, who's worked ESW shows that I've helped produce and that Golo has ring announced, full disclosure. 149, more than any W wrestler. Number two is Marcus Mathers, who I think was at the top of this list last year. Mike Bailey. Speedball. Billy Starks. Speedball Mike Bailey. Billy Starks. Billy Starks uh, being a high school student and being in the top five is pretty impressive. She, she was in the top five last year, too, if yeah, I remember. I think yeah. so, especially for promotions. Uh, Bobby Orlando, Masha Slamovich. And now finally we have some some W workers. The Usos, both of them at 122. Sean Martins, which is not a name I'm familiar with. Austin Theory, who got his first name back this year. Congratulations to him. Seth Rollins, Cole Radrick, Jordan Oliver, Liv Morgan, Blake Christian, One Called Manders, Akira, Bianca Belair, Alex Shelley, uh, Matt Riddle, Harlan Abbott, Jordan Cruz, Anthony Henry, Josh Alexander, Jimmy Lloyd, Effie Davy Richards, Dante Martin, Dominic Greeny, Ali Cash, Montez Ford, Nick Wayne. Ricochet, Chad Gable, Bryce Donovan, Kevin Blackwood, who I, I helped train, full disclosure, Kofi Kingston, Danny Dugan, Drew McIntyre, Channing Thomas, J.D. Drake, Austin Luke, Travis Cole, Mac, Max Caster. Again, the number one there is Alec Price with 149 matches. Uh, you have something there? I was going to say, I think Cole, and Cole Radrick, I think, was 2020's number one, so it dropped a little familiar. bit there, but yeah. Who wrestled for the most promotions? I think this is a sort of impression, especially for indie workers. Who worked for the most variety of unique promotions? And number one is Davey Richards. 51 different promotions he wrestled for in the United States or Canada. Or I think this, no, this is worldwide. So I don't what, know a guy, what a guy, Davey Richards. 51, 51 different promotions at this stage of his career. Yeah. I think he wrestled for ESW in this year, too. Again, is that Daniel Garcia? That was that That this year? was last year. I know I announced year. him in Excite this year. So I'm just saying Bennett. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Masha Slamovich is number two. Mike Bailey, Billy Stark, Shaz McKenzie, Jordan Oliver, Effie, Cole Radrick, Man Like Darius. Any, 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 am, I, am I saying that right, Golo? You're an expert at, at pronouncing uh, in, independent wrestlers' names. Uh, Trisha Dora, Bandito, Akira, Alec Price, Arrow Boy, Janai Kai, Dirty Dango, Rob Killjoy, Ares, Shigehiro Iri. Jody Threat, Myron Reed, that's the top 20 or so, mm. who had between 30 and 50 different promotions that they worked for, recorded by Cage Match. Unfortunately, a lot of these are, all of them closed up, but this, I feel like this used to be dominated by UK wrestlers because of mm. the amount of wrestlers, the, the amount of promotions you can get to in the UK, as well as working in Europe and occasionally the US. So it's kind of telling to me that there's not nearly as many um UK-based wrestlers on this list as it used to yeah. be. This, this is worldwide, and kind of I, I have a breakdown among UK, Ireland, and, and things like that, too. I'm impressed with Davey going to 51 promotions for a guy that 
Like he he, he must not have worked. Like how many matches did he work this year? The top list of people who had matches in the U.S. Let me. I'm gonna look at it now. He worked. Buh, buh, buh. Yeah, he, 87 that, matches this year. I, I have 92 on this list. Oh, okay. Know. Well, that's that's basically the same number anyway. Um, to do so, he was he was doing he was one in he was like one in one and done in most of these promotions. Right, that's an average of like less than two matches. Yeah, that, special appearance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive because he's just. I mean, that means he's going probably all over the country to to do it. It's not like he's just in one area. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, are we at the end of, end of our thing here? Let me look. We could, we could, we'll briefly touch on W stock, which has closed at the end of the, end of the, uh, close of business on Friday, 68 and a half dollars. Uh, it's, it's been on a downward trend since, uh, you know, early in, or you know, maybe late in November or so. Nonetheless, year to date up 37%, up 37%. What do those indexes do year to date? Down 20%, down 34%. Dow Jones down 9%. So WWE really outperformed the market despite a weak finish for the year, still outperforming the market strongly, and most importantly, uh, destroying the trend against Bitcoin. Bitcoin is down 65%. W stock is up 37%. And, and, and finally, the main event. Chris Gull, please please observe the slide and t- tell us what you see. Uh, I mean, the Dogecoin didn't have a good year. <laughs> Doge, Doge, Doge did not go as negative as Bitcoin, though. Doge yeah. was only, only down 60%, 16.5%. The was never worth as much as this. <laughs> <laughs> it, had, it had less value, perhaps, to lose yeah. in the first place. Yeah, uh, but a strong year in a bull, mar- bull uh, in a bear market for W stock. Um, that's that's all I have. We can do super chats now. Now we're nearly at two hours. I apologize for going so long. No, that's okay. Uh, I, I think our audience appreciated it. We, uh, so we have a super chat here from Mario Meza, just a super sticker. Uh, thank you, Mario. Thank you. Just, thank just you. want to applaud us there. And then we have a super chat here from Big Time Baxter. Uh, with SmackDown doing big numbers with viewers outside the demo, since uh, that bode well as far as TV renewals, uh, they aren't dead last in total viewers. So the SmackDown doing big numbers, is that going to help with, you know, as far as the TV rights contract, it seems like what he's asking. It can't hurt, right, if they're, because I think like previously used to be like, Maybe earlier this year, like SmackDown was sometimes last in among network shows in total viewers, first in the demo, but lower in total viewers. And now they're more competitive. Yeah. More now they're more competitive in total viewers. Uh, that can't be a negative. No, I think be- I would. I think because Fox is a broadcast network that is more reliant on ad revenue than a cable network is. That demo is more important mm-hmm. for SmackDown than total viewers is. But total viewers represents subscription which represents a big piece of traditional TV still because even Fox, despite being available on an antenna, is getting some money from carriage fees too. So uh, it helps, yes, to have viewers of, of any age. Um, this ending the year with a really big rating, it looks like, doesn't hurt, but it's it, it ultimately will be about the average of what it delivers on a consistent basis when it comes to TV deals. And... I as as the year ends, I still expect WWE to from if not from Fox from someone else to get an upgrade for its Raw and SmackDown rights at, at the rate of I don't know, somewhere around seventy percent. All right, and that is, I believe, all that we had today. Okay, but uh, we had a consistently fifty plus people throughout 
almost a whole two big hours. Draw. Thank you guys. Hey, big new. We're we're like we're like um we're like a Japanese promotion. We do big business <laughs> on uh, on New Year's Day. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we can't. Not all that attendance is paid, but uh, but they were. Yeah, some of these there. have been. Some of these have been connected. People will say that Alan was a plant um, mm-hmm. coming in at a precise time with some key pure, pure knowledge, but that was not the case. Yes. Um, quickly, we, we have a, the, the Patreon if you want to support it, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You can get, get my TV ratings reports nearly every day. Uh, quarter hours continue to be available. Um, we've got some information that will be coming up this week. Just an update on Impact and New Japan and WOW ratings uh, that have not been reported elsewhere. That will be coming up uh, in the, the week to come. Access to the WrestleNomics spreadsheet. We'll do a WrestleNomics 30. Didn't do one this week. Uh, we will do one this coming Thursday with Golo and I, I expect. Uh, slides, including the slides that we just went through, you get access to them if you're a subscriber. Uh, if, you, if you log into WrestleNomics.com, you'll be able to view the, the, the subscriber posts that way, too, at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Um, real quick, uh, uh, Stilo uh, Latino gave us a super uh, chat uh, donation. Thank you. So thank you, Stilo. Thank you. Anything else to plug you guys? You can go first, Jesse, if you got anything. Um, no, I'm, I wrote an article for WrestleNomics.com a couple weeks ago um, looking at uh, how we evaluate AEW from a critical perspective and how that is related to WCW and the collapse of WCW over the last few years of its existence and how some people are still traumatized by that collapse and are constantly being spooked by anything that happens in AEW that could signal a similar kind of trajectory downwards. Um, I wrote, I also wrote a series of articles for voices of wrestling.com that came out last week looking at, um, I wrote four articles, each looking at the, you know, quote unquote, uh, four pillars of AEW, looking at MJF, jungle boy, Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen kind of evaluating their career so far and looking forward to the future of how close they are to kind of becoming the, the faces of AEW as they were, probably originally intended to be and they're obviously are kind of on different paths um so um and you have another article found. on wrestleomics to come coming soon that i still have to to edit and get yes ready. yes there should be it should probably that probably this week um yeah, probably yeah. we'll be, be running uh i'm very excited about that article i thought it came across fair i thought I'm, i i wrote when i finished writing it i was like sometimes i write stuff and i'll be like uh, yeah, I mean, this this it makes a point, but it wasn't originally what I envisioned, and it's not as strong as I maybe thought it would be, because you really ultimately don't know until you put the words down how good your article is going to be. Um, when I finished that one, I was like, oh, this is good. This is quality. Um, so I'm excited to see um, have people read that and see what they have to say about it. Okay. Uh and uh, yeah, yeah, rediscover the Indies is back after a brief hiatus. Uh, we did part three of our Dragon Gate USA uh, deep dive and uh, cover mostly 2010 in that episode. Um, talk about Brian Danielson uh, returning and to just go back to WWE, but uh, the business that that did that, uh, the pay-per-view business, um, Ring of Honor trying to sabotage Dragon Gate USA uh, and Dragon Gate USA returning the favor. Um, so uh, there's a lot of good stuff in that uh, in that in that episode, part three and part four will be interesting because we'll talk about the Go Fight Live uh, eye pay per view and that that should be out uh, late January. So yeah, check out Rediscovering nice. Indies RTI Pod uh, and available on all podcasts streaming. Nice. Goldie going to the Monday Night Football game tomorrow? Uh, it's in Cincinnati. Oh, that, oh, okay, okay, yeah. It's, it's, it's yes, I'll be watching it from my comfortable home, but that'll be 
I will be at the stadium next week, Sunday, for the Buffalo Bills versus New England Patriots. Yeah, we're probably going to need a little bit of help from the Bills. I would like it if, uh, depending on if the Patriots can beat Miami this week. Uh, I, I, you know what would be awesome? I think this would be a great matchup, would be like Matt Barkley plays for the Bills. Like, could Matt Barkley beat the Patriots? I think that's They're, a question worth exploring if you're the Bills. Like, you I don't, don't have think to play, they you do don't have that. To play, you don't have to play Josh Allen. It's, it's, no, I think, no, the, I think the people want to see Matt to, Barkley. If we beat Cincinnati and Casey wins again, we are going to have to play yeah, that's, Josh that's, Allen. I think the big thing is we're counting on, like, the Patriots could beat Miami this week, especially because they're at home against Teddy Bridgewater. And Buffalo could obviously beat Cincinnati, but what we really need to happen for that game not to matter for Buffalo is for Kansas City to lose to the Broncos, and I don't think that's happening. Yeah, so, <laughs> unfortunately, speaking, we're speaking gonna... of plugs, Jesse, were you, were you not on the Intelligentsia most recently? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to plug that, but yes, I. Okay. If you want to hear? Do you want to hear me and Joe Lanza talk for three hours yes. about? I, my my out. ears were burning after after the last uh, audio show that he did he did his th- Thursday reviews as I was I was alerted that uh, I was I was being spoken about and uh, and uh, he's, he's constantly uh, plugging Wrestleomics which we appreciate so I just want to make sure you got your, your intelligentsia the key, plug in there the key with the uh, the key with doing the intelligentsia in Joe's Thursday reviews is we record the intelligentsia on Wednesday nights like immediately after Dynamite. And we usually have a one-hour discussion about the episode of Dynamite before we start recording the intelligence. Yeah, um, and I, I told him I'm trying to work my my opinions into to see if they come out in his his Thursday TV reviews mm. because I I talk to him immediately after Dynamite try to try to workshop some of my opinions into his his analysis. It's a, it's been a long con, but it's starting to become quite fruitful. Okay. That's all for this week. We'll be back on Thursday for subscribers only. We'll record a show Thursday evening. We'll probably be out on Thursday evening. But other than that, we'll be back again with audio and video on Sunday, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for listening and supporting. Talk to you next time. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.